Well, if you are visiting Gig Harbor, you're here on a really a fun weekend. This is, uh, this is the weekend we have a parade. We had a big parade. How many were at the parade yesterday? Yeah? You think you know the reason for the parade. I'll bet you don't. The reason we had the parade yesterday is because it was on that day that the first lady of the church, Cynthia Toon, was born. <laughs> she loves it when I do that kind of stuff. And the best mother-in-law in the world, her mom, Peg Henry, is here, and we welcome you today. We love you. Good. Welcome, my mother-in-law. Right, there we go. We're continuing in our journey. We're closing in on the end of it. If you can believe it, we started back in September. Another year has passed. Another series of sermons completed. We're rolling around to the end of Romans. We come to this day to Romans chapter 14. And um, I'm going to do something a little unusual. I actually want to start my message in Romans 14 with a verse right in the middle. So if you're going to open your Bibles, if you want to pull out your app, we're going to start at verse 13. Verse 13 of Romans chapter 14. Paul writes these words to the Romans. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Let me read that to you one more time. Pay attention. Pay attention to the words. We're going to tear that apart a little bit. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather... Decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Let's pray for this. Lord, we pray that this word and the rest of what we will study in, in Romans 14, God, that it will speak to our hearts, that we will be convicted as necessary, and that we will be more and more the kinds of people, the kind of church, the kind of body of Christ that you have created us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we got props today. Someone complained we don't have enough props, so here we go. I'm not kidding you. I liked it when you had more props. All right, here we go. Here's your prop. What are we looking at? Stumbling block. Stumbling block. This is what Paul is alluding to, a stumbling block. The idea of the stumbling block is it's something that's passive, okay? It would be something that would be left inadvertently in the middle of the walkway. And it wasn't intentional. It was just careless. Can you imagine walking along in the middle of the night and and kicking your toe on that? It would be terrible. So it's just that someone wasn't thinking about the person who was going to be walking the path after them. And so they leave this stumbling block right in the middle of the walkway. All right? So that's one thing he mentions. He mentions another word too there. It's, It's hindrance. Did you see it? The word hindrance. He says, let us determine never to be a stumbling block or a hindrance. This... That's what a word, the word hindrance means. It means trap. It means trap. Uh-huh. <laughs> Believe me, I thought about it before you did. This is... Um, the word in the Greek is scandalon. Scandalon. We get the word scandal from it. And it means an active intent to trap someone. It's an intentional effort to trip someone up. It's a gotcha. (laughs) I made the mistake of testing this with a pen yesterday. It shattered pieces of pen all over my... Yeah, that was stupid. Yeah. 
So Paul says there's, there's stuff going on in the church right now. Some of you are stumbling blocks. Some, so you're unintentionally causing people to fall. Some of you are doing it on purpose. You are setting traps for them so that you can play gotcha. And he says, and the sin that uh, both of these things are arising out of is the same thing. And you saw it at the very part, first of that verse. It is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. Listen again to what he says. He says, let us not pass judgment. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So Paul's writing to this Roman church, and it was a, a, we, we discern from our reading, we infer that it was a, a very diverse church, rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, so all kinds of different folks. And he's saying to all of these gather folks, he said, do not get judgy with each other. Don't be judgmental. Now, I need to say this before I, I move on to, to my message. Well, this is part of my message, so I guess I'm still in my message. Uh, there's a difference between judgmentalism and judgment. There's a difference between judgmentalism and judgment. And sometimes we hear the one assumed to be the other. As followers of Christ, we are actually called to live our lives in a certain way. We are called to hold one another accountable for living God's way in God's world. That is part of what it means to be believers in Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, every letter that Paul sent included instructions on how to behave themselves. In fact, sometimes he would call out particular persons in that letter by name, Euodia and Syntyche. Start getting along. Stop fighting with each other, he said to the Philippians. So Paul was always concerned that we would live God's way in God's world. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. For instance, the previous chapter, chapter 13, which we looked at last week, the part we didn't look at was the very last sentence in the text. Here's what it says. Paul writes, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So Paul's saying there's a way that you ought not to live. I don't want you to live like the pagans who live sensually, who, who have a, a, you know, this, this immoral kind of lifestyle, who live in petty ways and, and jealous ways. I don't want you to live that way. Now, if you aren't supposed to live that way, if there are certain things we're not supposed to do, then surely there must be some process of discernment where you know whether you crossed over the line from living God's way to not living God's way. That is judgment. We are called to exercise judgment. We cannot live Christian lives in community without exercising judgment. It is part of what we do together. But what we are forbidden to do is be judgmental. The words in the text that I read to you, past judgment almost always have to do with God's prerogative. Passing judgment is something that God only is qualified to do. Judgmentalism is not saying, you know, what you're doing is destructive to you. It's destructive to your family. It's destructive to your relationships. That's a very appropriate thing for brothers and sisters in Christ to say to one another. As a matter of fact, it is kind of the heart and soul of why we have Celebrate Recovery. We come together and say, listen, what you're doing is killing you. It's killing your relationships. So we urge you in the name of Jesus to be different, to change, to let Christ change you. That's not judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is playing God. Judgmentalism is deciding that who is and who is not a Christian by silly, non-essential kinds of uh, 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 things that, that we see in them. Things they say, things they wear, things they do. That's judgmentalism. 
Today represents a really significant day in the life of our congregation for those of you who have been here a while. Six years ago today, we were received into the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Remember that day? How many of you were present for that day? It was a big day for us, and it was a day that we worked hard towards. We were very thoughtful, very prayerful as we discerned our way towards that. One of the things that attracted us about our denomination, the EPC, is it had a list of what they called the essentials. Remember those? Seven specific theological assertions that you said, listen, you've got to believe these things if if you're going to be a part of who we are. Things like the Trinity, things like the authority of Scripture, things like the person and the work of Jesus, the resurrection of Christ. If, If you don't believe this stuff, you know, we love you, but this is not your church home. These are essential to us, and we loved that about the EPC. There's something else that we loved about the EPC, too, and that was its motto. You may not remember this, but the motto of, the, of our denomination is this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Say it with me. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. That's a, that's a good way to live. It's a good way to live as a denomination. In other words, we're saying, listen, there are a few things upon which we must agree or we probably don't belong in the same church family together. But there are a whole bunch of other stuff that are non-essentials. They are not salvation issues. And we can disagree on those and still be a part of the same church family. So this combination of clarity and grace, that's provided a wonderful church home for us. But it is amazing how rare that combination is of both clarity and grace. For there are some churches where there are no theological essentials or very few. And frankly, I think we migrated out of that kind of a place. And there are other churches and other denominations where everything is a theological essential. That's no good. It's hard to find this balance. And apparently... It was hard to find this balance back in the first century church in Rome, too, because Paul addresses that in the rest of 14. So I want to start back now in the verse 1 of of Romans chapter 14 and just listen in on what was, imagine what was going on in this little church in Rome 2,000 years ago. Paul writes, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servants of others? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I grew up in Westminster Presbyterian Church in Yakima, Washington. And uh, I was there for about 15 years of my life. So I walked through a lot of journey together, a lot of history, a lot of squabbles as church family. As you always do if you're in a church for a while. Every church family fights. 
I remember one of the squabbles that we went through uh, back then was the, the skirmish between the teetotalers and the tipplers. One group, the teetotalers, alcohol never touched their lips. Our friends, the Hulls, which was quite a dynasty within Westminster, the Hulls were proudly teetotalers. The Toons also were teetotalers. Uh, We never had alcohol in our house of any sort except for the rubbing kind. Never. And actually that had a significant impact on my life. A few years ago, Cindy wanted to do something called a Uh, Beer can chicken barbecue. So I had to go get the beer can. I remember being in the thriftway downtown, and and I walked up to the cash register with a single 32-ounce can of Old Milwaukee. I cannot tell you how self-conscious I felt. I, I would have almost preferred to have shoplifted it. than to have been seen buying one ginormous can of beer. I felt like a hobo. (laughs) Because I came from a teetotaling background. Any of you that came from a teetotaling background, raise your hand, I'm just curious. You know my pain, right? (laughs) Then there, at Westminster, there were the tipplers. These were the ones who had no problem with an occasional cocktail or a glass of wine or, or beer. And... As I got older, I was amazed to discover just how many tipplers there were in my home church. They're getting applause over here. You got a problem, CR. How could this be, I thought? Christians don't drink, except for that little problem of Jesus turning thousands of gallons of water into wine. Other than that... But here they were, they were drinking, and I was pretty sure they were Christian. At least I assumed they were until that moment, and then I was confused. Church skirmishes about these kinds of things have been going on forever, and they were going on right there in Rome. There were a certain group of Roman Christians that were very strict in their particular observance of things. For instance, they assisted in worshiping only on the Jewish Sabbath. And... uh, and there are others, uh, probably Gentiles, who were worshiping on the, the Lord's Day Sunday to honor the resurrection of Jesus. This same group, they were apparently vegetarians and they were teetotalers. And there's actually a good reason for that. In Rome and in all of the Roman colonies, if you went out to buy food, you could get a big discount on meat and wine if it had been previously offered in sacrifice to idols. It was kind of used meat. I mean, I I don't know how else to describe it. It was like the Costco of that time. If you want to make your dollars go far, then find the place that's selling sacrificed meat and wine. And if you were a, uh, a Jewish believer who had been raised to abhor idolatry, the only way then you could be sure that you would not be eaten, a sirloin that had been dedicated to the goddess Nike, was to be a vegetarian and to be a teetotaler. Paul has an interesting description for this group in the church. He calls them, I wonder if you notice this, the weak in faith. The weak in faith. For those of us who grew up in that tradition, that seemed kind of unfair and even a little harsh. I mean, after all, these people were trying to be scrupulous about everything they did in order to make God happy. 
They wanted to worship on the right day and they wanted to eat the right kind of food and avoid the right kind of food in order to make God happy. And if you're going to give up ribeye steak and a beer and watching football and on Sunday, surely you get some extra spiritual credit for that, right? And yet Paul calls them weak. What's that about? Well, let's think back to our previous few months in the book of Romans. Remember, Paul has already taught us that every person falls short of the glory of God. Every person is sinful, right? And there's nothing that we can do. We cannot be religious enough. We cannot be rule-keeping enough. We cannot be spiritual enough to make God happy, to please him. Because we are sinners. And it is only by God's grace that we are saved. This is the amazing news of the gospel of Jesus. So, for Paul, anything that smacks of legalism... Anything that smells like we are about earning our salvation from God, he considers that an offense to the gospel. After all, that is the life that he was saved from, right? He was a Pharisee. He was a super-duper rule keeper. And Jesus saved him out of that legalism. Paul would say, if Christ has set you free, you must be free. And, And if he has set you free from that kind of life, why would you return to the bondage of legalism? So for Paul, anyone who felt like they had to live their life by a certain religious code, checking off all of the boxes in order to make sure that they didn't get God mad at them, that they had not yet fully discovered their freedom in Christ. He would say, if you feel like you've got to drink, uh, can't drink wine, or you can't eat meat, or you've got to worship on this day, otherwise God's going to not like you, he would say, that's not a sign of spiritual strength. It's a sign of spiritual weakness. But here's what's great about Paul and really the gracious of the message. He says, but there's a, I don't want you to abuse each other. He, this is his message for the, the teetotalers. He tells the tipplers. He said, I want you to welcome them in. And in fact, he speaks to all of them. He says, whatever you do, I do not want you picking fights with each other over these things. Because right there in the first century Rome, it was like Westminster Yakima all over again. The battle between the teetotalers and the tipplers. The, the meat eaters were disgusted with the legalism of the vegetarians. And the vegetarians thought the meat eaters were second-class Christians, if they were Christian at all. And the liberals despised the leftists, and the leftists judged the liberals. And Paul says, stop it! All of you, stop it! Why are we to stop it? He says, because... Every one of you in Jesus belongs to the Lord. Every one of you belongs to the Father. And only the Father can rebuke his own. The verse that he makes that clear on is this one. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Any of you ever had a stranger chastise your child in public? Did that fire you up? I'll bet it did. I mean, it could be they deserve chastisement. It could be that they they deserve to to have a word spoken to them. But they're not their kid. They're your kid. You might have said it harsher and stronger and meaner. But it's not for them to rebuke your children. And that's how God feels about his children. The teetotalers, the tipplers, and everyone in between. He may have harsh words for each of those groups, and at times he does the rebuke of a father. But that's his right because he is the dad. And no one else better be saying the same things because it is not our right to do so. And yet we are quick to pass judgment. 
quick to pass judgment on the non-essential things. Things like in the past for many of us, if depending upon our church tradition, might have included alcohol or Sabbath keeping or wearing lipstick. Remember that? Or going to dances or playing cards. That was a bad one. And that's one that apparently the tunes, the memo that we didn't get. We got the no alcohol one, but man, we played a vicious uh, games of pinochle. We just didn't drink when we played. These non-essentials get turned into salvation essentials and they become gotcha traps for those who, who believe differently. And we still have those kinds of issues. They're just different ones as the generations proceed, but we always like having stuff we can be judgy about. I asked my life group what their prejudices were, and I'm just going to share with you what they said. I won't tell you their names. For one guy, it's tattoos. He says, I just can't stand them. For another, it was piercings, especially those gauges. I just, I want to hang them up on a hook. Another one said, it's smoking. Smoking's my thing. And for another, it was low-hanging pants. That was the thing. You just can't stand low-hanging pants. You know, you're not going to find a lot about those in the Bible. There is no commandment that says, thou shalt not reveal us thy butt crack in public. A visitor's leaning over and saying, can he say butt crack? And, <laughs> and some of us are saying there ought to be a commandment like that, but I'm just saying there's not. But these are the prejudices that my friends admitted to. So what are yours? Because every one of us has some. The things that irk you, they're not salvation issues. Even you would probably admit that they're not salvation issues. But they're the things that cause you to look judgy upon your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Verse 20, Paul goes on to say, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. The work of God, of course, being the the reclamation of souls. He says, don't, for the sake of a ribeye steak, destroy the work of God. And we can replace that same word, food, with alcohol or cigarettes or tattoos or hats worn in church or piercings or any other number of external things that have nothing to do with whether or not we love Jesus, and yet they become pitfalls that we set for new believers. For those who abstain and for those who don't abstain, Paul says it's the same underlying principle, and that principle is the lordship of Christ. Verse 7, I think it's my favorite passage in this verse. He says, we do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die... We are the Lord's. Whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. It's my favorite verse. When I'm talking with people with terminal illness, I said, whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is, the issue for us is not about what we, how we act or what we believe or what we wear. The issue is whose we are. Whose we are. If we have really given ourselves to Jesus, he's going to work his righteousness in us. We don't need to worry about that. That's what the Spirit does. We're going to act more and more like Him because the longer we know Him, the longer He inhabits us, the more we're going to take on His attributes. And so we become less and less concerned about what others do that bug us and more and more concerned about what we do that might bug God. 
We also become, and by the way, this is a whole other sermon I don't have the time to preach, but it's really the second half. We also become less focused on our rights to do certain things, the freedoms that we have, and more willing to give up things for the sake of those whom we might cause to stumble. That's the sign of real maturity, being able to say, I have the freedom to do this. For your sake, I will not. When we have an attitude of selfless, non-judgmental love, instead of causing the church to splinter over petty non-essentials, it allows us the grace to come together around the only things that matter, Christ's love for us, his death for us, his salvation for us, his Holy Spirit working within us. St. Augustine once said, love God and live as you please. Love God and live as you please. So where are you in this continuum? Are you more of a teetotaler? a rule keeper, a nitpicker? Are you tough on yourself, tough on your kids, tough on your spouse, tough on others, tougher maybe even than God would be? Maybe you need to have a a refresher course in grace, the amazing grace of God. Or maybe you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum. You're a tippler, not very rules-oriented, kind of comfortable in your freedom. Do you understand that your freedom in Christ is not license to simply live the way you want to live. You belong to Jesus. You are the Lord's. And so you might ask yourself, does the way that I exercise my freedom bring honor to Christ and point others to him? When I picked apples as a kid, we used to store them in something we called CA, controlled atmosphere. Controlled atmosphere. We sometimes might wish that this is more of a CA warehouse than a church. And that if everyone came in here, we could count on it all being pretty much the same stuff. A controlled spiritual atmosphere. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring my kids from all over the place. And they're going to look like a lot of different stuff. You are all my children. I want you to love me. I want you to focus on me. I want you to let the Spirit do what he's going to do. And I want you to let me worry about the judging. And when we come together for communion, is that not what we're celebrating? Communion, coming together. It means that these people, these crazy people that sit on the other side of you, that you might never otherwise hang out with, it means that you're part of God's family together. You're going to eat a meal together. You're going to set aside these silly non-essentials that divide churches and have been dividing churches for 2,000 years. You're going to set them aside and say, you know, on Christ the solid rock we stand. These few things are what we stand on, and the rest of the stuff, we just kind of figure out how to work it through together. This is the wonderful gift of the table, and I invite you now to come to it.